Hello, everyone. Welcome to AMT's Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Moses, the Director of Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, Manufacturing Technology Analyst. Steve, welcome to 22. It's, it's a new year. It's a new year. And I just used my old title. <laughs> it hasn't changed much. Technology Analyst. I just felt... I. I didn't think to remove the manufacturing part. <laughs> That's right. Know. Everything's a little hazy. I love this time manufacturing. <laughs> Just keep it in with good to get a tattoo. <laughs> I love manufacturing. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we passed uh, holidays. A lot of people got gifts. Heck yeah, dude. Got anything good? Dude, got a lot of great Christmas presents. Oh, yeah? Um, man, what are some of my favorites? Uh, for one, this sweater that's keeping me warm <laughs> in this cold office that has that the heat is actually on full blast right now. Yep. Which is why it's so stuffy and why probably by noon our noses are caked <laughs> and really dried out. Yet it's still only like 70 degrees in the office that's a bit chilly. because this floor has like no insulation whatsoever. <laughs> Water comes in when it rains. <laughs> birds nest in here. Um if like last year we had the 17 year old cicada thing, <laughs> cicadas were in the office. Did you have cicadas here? You didn't, you didn't see that? I don't remember. We either. were still in like, not lockdown. Yeah, but, we're still but we're, we're, we're office was optional. Yeah. Um, there were cicadas in here. I remember when we were shooting the uh, IMTS YouTube series. Yeah. There were cicadas in here. That's fine. Anyway, other things I got for Christmas. Um, You know, you're an adult when you're excited about a herringbone pattern end grain teak cutting board inch oh. and a half thick baby oh that's nice nice cutting board now i just got to get my knives sharpened because <laughs> i'm marring the hell out of it and you got to take care of it uh yeah i got i got this board cream okay which is just beeswax and mineral oil cool. that i have to rub the cutting board like it says like once a month that's um that's a lot of maintenance for a cutting board it is a lot of maintenance but you don't want them smelly you don't want them warping i just put mine in the dishwasher but you're not supposed to do it all. <laughs> That's you're, why I shifted to You're killing to. me then. <laughs> um, what well, else did I get? Dude, in the apartment, I'm, I'm going to try to not to spend too much time on this one. All right. In the apartment, uh, upgraded the bathrooms because we got two bathrooms. Yep. Upgraded the bathrooms to having bidets. <laughs> Congratulations. Bro. Bro, <laughs> life changing, life changing, you know, you know, like when, uh, you know, let's say you're rolling out of bed a little late. Sure. And you go, you go have some breakfast, right? You brush your teeth and then you have to sit down a little bit to wait for your morning to start. If you know what I'm saying? Sure. And you find out you're, it's like 15 minutes later and it's like, dude, come on, we got to get moving. So you get fed up waiting. And you just hop in the shower and then you get out of the shower and then it's like, oh, now you're ready. <laughs> of course. With a bidet, that's not a problem anymore. <laughs> because, you know, before before having a bidet, you got to, you know, if you got out of the shower and then you had to go, you may as well get back in bed and start over. <laughs> it's a long process. No, with a bidet, baby. <laughs> 22 um, is looking good with a bidet, I guess. <laughs> um, What else? Got a new SSD for the gaming computer. Nice. Um. Not necessarily a new one, an additional one yeah, to, to yeah. double my storage capacity. Why am I forgetting the last one? Um, there was another one I wanted. I don't, what, right. What'd you get? What'd you get? Well, I'll try to come up with it. Get, I feel bad for the people that try and get me gifts because I buy whatever I want through the year. <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't wait to get something I'm interested in. I just And plus, all my, most of my hobbies are 
are unique enough, it's it's hard for someone to buy me gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, I get in a lot of trouble for that as well. Yeah. So I just buy whatever I want throughout the year. So uh, most past couple of Christmases, it's been a lot of old man gifts, mm-hmm. like a lot of socks, a lot of ties. Um, I got a couple of like random utility tools that are more uh, comical than useful. So right. Uh, I some the. So the holidays for me is just a lot of spending time with the family. I'm actually trying to figure out how to give good good gifts. So I gave um, um, Amelia. So Amelia, uh, my seven year old, was really interested in, um, I guess, a lot of fidget stuff now. Right. So, you know, for us, like the fidget spinner was like the the biggest popular one uh, that you know that came about recently. And I guess the kids nowadays are, have a thing called Pop It. It's kind of like a this big sheet of. Um, rubber bubbles that you pop back and forth no way so she she wanted like a 100 count pop it so it's a giant sheet of 100 bubbles on it wait a minute like bubble wrap but you pay for it so it's not a one-time use bubble (gasps) you just keep popping it back and forth whoever made that should be a millionaire (laughs) that's Uh, that's amazing and then Amelia asked for a pop it fidget spinner so she combined both worlds (laughs) wow so that was fun she got a lot of little fidget tools Toys. It's 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 interesting. She's not really fidgety, so she just kind of uses them as toys to play around. And so yeah, it, it was fun. A lot of good times. That's awesome. Got a couple of board games. I enjoy getting board games now. It's kind of fun activities. Good for you. Uh, New Year's was fun yeah. because we played some games. I had some guests over. One of them was unvaccinated, and of course, got COVID. That's a bummer. Um, it is a bummer. He's all right. That's good. He says he says he's full recovered because like he's in denial about it. But every now and then we'll be playing online games, and you know he gets in the mic. You're like, oh, there's somebody over there. <laughs> like, yeah, man, you've recovered. That's Good right. job. So it's gonna be a long stretch before our next holiday. So just keep that in mind. Oh my god. No. Uh, let's get into some articles, man. I got a yes. couple of good ones. Uh, I got one on cybersecurity. So uh, you know we've been talking about uh, cybersecurity for you know a couple of months, and uh, there's a growing need in. Uh, improving our security resili- or our resiliency in manufacturing. Um, so NIST uh, did an update on uh, engineering guidelines, um, cybersecurity engineering guidelines. So this is geared more towards um, people developing software, code, programs. Uh, and I thought it was very interesting because it, it um, cascades into the manufacturing where, you know, if you're doing custom applications on the shop floor or if you're building controls or rebuilding, you know, any type of software in manufacturing, Right. How do you build in um, security or resiliency into the application or program? So it's not just looking at the infrastructure within a building to hopefully make sure it's secure, make sure your switches are secure or you're controlling, controlling things, um, kind of the digital physical side of uh, the network, but also building in security within the program itself. So I thought that was a very interesting look at, you know, the need for and it, It's a big document. It's like 200 some pages, but it definitely uh, addressed a lot of things. And um, a couple of key elements from the um uh, article from uh, NetGov. Uh, so the publication addresses engineering-driven perspective and action necessary to develop more defensible and survivable systems. Uh, so, uh, you know, inclusive of machine, physical, and human components. Uh, so it's looking at a very broad spectrum, right? And then right. Um, uh, the second part is building trustworthy, secure systems uh, cannot occur in a vacuum which uh, isolate with isolated stovepipes for a cyber-secure software and information technology. So again, it talks about the the breadth of what they're kind of uh, approaching. So NIST has, I guess, two mm-hmm. core documents, right? So they've got one that looks at, hey, you're an organization. How do you assess yourself on making sure you're uh, resilient? And then now it takes a deeper dive of, 
now you've got software and program that you've developed or you're developing or implementing within your uh, facility. And then how do you make sure that that is resilient also in connection to the uh, higher levels uh, uh, organization? So a, a fascinating look, and I'm glad that Absolutely. there's more direction, more information, and more um, you know guidance on, hey, <laughs> we need to improve our uh, security. Wow. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, one of my new neighbors who moved in, I want to say like last, uh, not last month, like in November or October right. of last year. Uh, so he hasn't been living at our place long. Um, you know, he's from Alabama uh-huh. and he's a young kid, early twenties from Alabama, um, moved in, has brand new BMW four series, uh-huh. brand new BMW S 1000 double R motorcycle. And, you know, we live at a really nice apartment complex. Sure. And we, we started riding together, riding the motorcycles, um, at least before it got way too cold. Uh-huh. Um, but a uh, really talented rider, too. And uh, like, dude, what do you do? Like, how are <laughs> how are like, is this all? Oh, and he wears like, you know, a brand new like Rolex date just too. I'm like, is this mommy and daddy's money? Sure. Like, you know, I'm blunt about that kind of stuff. Right. Or, or like, like, what do you do, man? It's like, no, no, you know, from Alabama. Parents are still back in Alabama, <laughs> you know, group dirt, dirt poor. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm working in cybersecurity. <laughs> <laughs> High demand, man. That's where it's at. <laughs> Does he have his accent? A little bit. Okay. A little bit. I do enjoy a little Alabama he, He's accent. got, he, so definitely like a Southern, uh, up, up and coming Southern gentleman okay. because he's got this, this ever so slight accent, but he's like trying to cover it up <laughs> and he's really proper and all this stuff. Yeah. Like dude, moving up in the world for sure. Nice. That's cool. Cool dude. But cybersecurity, I think he said, um, booze Allen. Okay. Nice. Well, he's also working for Booz Allen. So yeah, they're, they're treating him well. <laughs> Talk to me about your article. What you got? All right. First one I got from 3D printing industry. Um, Bond 3D company Bond 3D achieves 99% part densities with void free peak 3D printing technology. Peak is in polyether ether ketone, not peak is in pinnacle or the apex or the summit of a mountain. Um, Nicely done. And <laughs> so what's really cool about this. Peak is typically uh, printed with the uh, with conventionally with FFF or material extrusion, right. and th- they're still doing that. But they Bond 3D has a pressure controlled material extrusion approach to essentially eliminate voids right. and match the material density similar to that of injection molding. Wow. And it's really wild because we've all handled 3D printed parts before and you see like, you know, each each strand of material, of mm-hmm. course. They have through material extrusion, which we know is like one of the most basic <laughs> forms of additive manufacturing. Right. Like it's just laying down a line of material um, through their pressure controlled process. Yeah. Um, They've been able. I, I'm repeating myself. They they they've been able to achieve a material density of 99, percent which is very similar, close to, if not better than, um, uh, injection molded. And the coolest part was, and, and you'll have to see this article later. Is there's a diagram, there's an image, uh, comparing um, a conventional uh, 3D printed pr- part. And this is a very close up shot sure. of 3D printed peak, and uh, on the left. And on the right, it's just like a solid image. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't look like anything's there. It's it's that 
and, and I think the scale on it is like one inch of the picture and the picture is only like four or five inches wide. One inch on the picture is a hundred micrometers. Sure. hundred microns. Yeah. So that's fascinating. That's uh, it's, it's really cool. Void free 3d printing is kind of a big deal. That's kind of a big deal. I, I you know, a couple of years ago, I was 3D printers are already crazy expensive, especially the industrial grade ones. Sure. Some of them are really cheap, but I mean, it depends on your perspective. I guess. And it's all, it also depends on the process. Material sure. extrusion. I'm confident is typically a relatively inexpensive process, but I've always been wondering, you know, with additive because the machines, so the machines can be really complex and they're relatively large machines with, an extremely controlled environment around the build plate. Usually not all the time. Um, but uh, why haven't some of these more advanced machines, some of these like multi-million dollar machines in that controlled pressure and environment chamber, mm-hmm. that's almost like a clean room. Um, why haven't they also like doubled the purpose of that room as like, you know, a cryogenic treatment chamber or <laughs> a uh, a hipping process chamber to take, you know, what is typically a process that yields a part or, or or object with a lot of internal voids. Sure. Use, you double or triple the process, the, the, the process or Mm -hmm. the capabilities of said chamber Mm -hmm. to do those processes to, you know, uh, improve the density and, and, uh, molecular, Sure. Uh, composition yeah. of the part and you know it's one person that i ran that idea across mm-hmm. said it's probably only a matter of time once people start spending more money on additive it's probably only a matter of time before that machine comes out and now with this it's like we might not need it sure it's yeah. pretty cool yeah and that that's an interesting uh um uh, thought experiment that you mentioned about uh, the controlled environment right so one thing you want to keep in mind. So if you look at, um, so if I look at um, the build environment, you want, from my perspective, it's a matter of controlling the environment for like a welding process, right? Mm-hmm. So you want a clean environment. You want a, um, in some cases, inert a- atmosphere. Yeah. Um, some you could pressurize it. Um, um, you probably could control some, the temperature a little bit uh, to some degree. <clears throat> but when you look at either homogenizing, uh, homogenizing uh, temperature cycles or hipping processes. Then you get a matter of scale in terms of temperature and pressure. Mm-hmm. So you know the pressure chamber on the hipping cycle could be you know ten thousand psi. Right. Right. I don't know if you want to build that much into um, you know additive machine where you may not use that process every single time. So right. It, True. Gets, it does get into one of the articles later that we talked about. Uh, I'm going to talk about of for um, autonomous mobile robots of you know single task versus multitask capability. Um, so. It's it's an interesting dilemma where um, you want to increase the capability, but the question is, you always need that capability. Are you going to use yeah. it? And that's a that's not a cheap uh, capability to incorporate. That's the thing. It's you going to a, uh, a hipping oven. That's a lot of pressure and really high temperature. So for like Inconel, you're taking it up to you know two thousand degrees Fahrenheit. That's that's a whole new scale of uh, heating elements and uh, temperature controls and things like that. Right. So it, it's a fairly good thought experiment, but, and also, I mean, those hipping cycles aren't, aren't short either. So do you want to take it out and parallel build another part while you're hipping the previous part? So now you get into um, production flow questions, but it, it's always the dilemma of, do you um, have several machines and uh, continue producing it? Or do you have one machine 
that you get a complete part out of. And that that's that's ongoing with subtractive, with every single uh, machine, even back at Eden where we discussed, you know, we pre- used to have three machines uh, that had uh, internal cutting, then external cutting, then like a finishing op. Yeah. And then we did the experiment of what happens if we just do it all uh, on one machine, th- three setups on one machine. Right. And obviously <gasps> you couldn't, you couldn't have one part completely done on a single setup, but you had, you could have three setups on one machine. So the, um, the, the machine would, uh, after the machine cycle, you take one part out and keep adding new parts to kind of cycle through it. Uh, and you know, we got fairly good throughput and it was very similar comp, um, uh, throughput compared to the three machines, but now we're able to, uh, kind of balance the time for the operator of loading each of the machines. So it was, it's, a it's always going to go back and forth, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, maybe I just follow the auto industry too much and think that, you know, not every soccer mom needs a V8 and eight inch lift and all four wheel drive, but <laughs> stuff sells. <laughs> stuff sells. All right. So let's get into um, why multifunction robots will take over commercial robots. So this article from uh, Spectrum, IEEE, uh, they're talking about uh, autonomous mobile robots, which is all the rage nowadays, right? So I even can. from warehouse robots into uh, a lot of the applications they talk about are um, the recent need for uh, sanitizing, cleaning certain areas, certain rooms, um, particularly hospitals and things like that. Um, and they're talking about the massive growth of AMRs um, across the board. So from like warehouse robots to mm-hmm. uh, single task robots. And that's the uh, point of the article is talking about is the need for single task robots is dying really, really quick. So the the um, the robot that you see could be doing um, you know inventory management like in Walmart going through scanning all the um, uh, stock, uh, all the shelves. Make, yeah. What else can that robot do? And that's the core of the question is the return on investment on these single task robots uh, compared to adding, you know, two or three other features. Uh, so you could add, incrementally add the cost to the AMR, but the flexibility and return on investment right. is so much higher uh, on just adding those other features that uh, the author feels that the trend will be, yeah, this, this robot could, clean the floors in a uh, manufacturing floor and pick up parts. Right. So there's always downtime for these robots too. So um, obviously there's issues of charging the battery and things like that, but there's always, when the task is done, the robot doesn't need to sit still. Right. So how do we keep this robot running basically 24 hours and uh, you know, the overall thought process and the uh, direction that the field industry be headed to is adding uh, incremental capabilities where it's, um, doing one thing, but then it's part of a big organization where you want the robot to be doing several things, you know, something yeah. like in a hospital, you could sanitize the, uh, the floors, but also transport drugs from one place to another. Sure. Sure. So I thought, you know, it's a very good perspective on the kind of the trend in, uh, AMRs where single tasks are great. Yeah. That's, that's very thought provoking. Yeah. Like, I mean, especially when you brought up the, like the retail right. part of like inventory, you know, one of the things back when I worked at total wine, that we had to do every night. We did like a mini inventory. It wasn't a full on inventory and right. it wasn't even considered an inventory, but like, you know, you look at the shelf, determine if, if the shelf is empty for a particular spot, you know, scan it. Are we actually out of stock? Right. And if so, put this sticker up there. And if not, then you search by like behind the shelves mm-hmm. for a bottle or up top where the cases are. It's a real headache, but the worst part of it all was really um, facing. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but 
as as you're going doing this process as you're checking the aisle for a product uh and seeing what's in stock what's out of stock you know if if somebody needs to go look for it to fill the shelf back up um facing was you know as customers come through the store mm-hmm. and like if they see something they like they grab it and right. put it in their cart and then go check out you know you're removing product from the shelf mm-hmm. facing is the annoying task of pulling product that's back in the shelf right. forward to the front of the shelf to make the shelf look really full and yeah. pretty. That's please, fun times. <laughs> please get like Boston dynamic spot to like walk down the aisles, Just, scan inventory, yeah. but also have the robotic arm on top of spot to face the product. Oh yeah. my God. That would be, that would allow for so much more slacking off in the break room. <laughs> T for uh, the key for total wine employees slacking off yeah. in the back break room. Dude, that was, that was, Kept you alive. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell me about this uh, other uh, additive article you got. I have another one. This one's really fun. We've talked about this process before. Another one from 3D Printing Industry. They are I, – I, I love this website. Almost as much as fizz.org, but, <laughs> you know, that's a little bit more nerdy. Um, Blackstone begins series production of lithium-ion batteries using 3D printing technology. Hmm. We've talked about 3D printed batteries before. The yeah. concept is awesome. It is not new. Right. Um, but the best part is it's gone from an academic level. You know, this used to be like MIT research mm-hmm. to white paper to like heavy industry research, but just testing proof of concept. Well, the concept has been proven. And Blackstone is beginning a production line made for 3D printing battery components, nice. if not the batteries themselves entirely. And it, it's awesome. I mean, you know, it's it's just something really to be excited about. 3D print, printed batteries, um, especially with how with how additive um, promotes new materials design and new materials invention, almost so to speak. Um, that additive is opening up a whole new possibility for batteries, yeah. not just, you know, designing uh, physically and, and, and like the shapes of batteries, but materials wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it- it's, it's huge because it's gonna, you know, when Canada's out of those raw materials <laughs> for, you know, conventional <laughs> batteries, we're going to need some other forms of whole containing chemically containing electrical energy. And I do see that that is very interesting because it, the need for batteries, it's it's outrageous, right? So you've got it will never go <laughs> away, right? So not just looking at uh, vehicles, right? Obviously, the shift towards EVs for vehicles, but also we just talked about AMRs, right? They're going to need batteries, so so the need on the manufacturing floor is significantly grown quite a bit, right? So it's it's the advancements in battery, I think, is it's crucial to uh, a lot of our autonomous uh, growth in the future. So that that's fascinating. I'm glad to see, you know, from Research that we've been talking about to production, or hopefully production. I hope this works. <laughs> yeah. To uh, you know, seeing something in the field where there's a, a thing you kind of saw grow, right? So uh, that's that's super interesting. You're not you're never gonna go EV, are you? Car? I would go hybrid. Yeah. Um, EV. I don't think so. Have I have I shared my dumb opinion on that before? Well, I've so- got nothing against EVs. <laughs> Sure. I like EVs. Yeah. I love Tesla cars. I think right. they're cool. I don't have any big beef with Elon Musk. Um, I think he's actually pretty cool. I'm not a fanboy. Sure. Uh, and you know, I do have a problem with Tesla owners. Like there's some <laughs> rabid Tesla owners and yeah. Tesla fanboys and Elon Musk fanboys that 
are a little bit extremely toxic. Sure. Um, but um, the way I see everybody thinks of like EVs as being like the fastest cars out there. And, you know, EVs are like the court's watch of automobiles. Sure. Um, and, and vehicles, you know, yeah, they're superior, mm-hmm. but gas engines are going to come back as a luxury good. Uh-huh. And, and people are going to, who saw them as tools before are yep. going to see them as flex pieces in the future. Sure, sure. So take care of your internal combustion <laughs> engines because I, I guarantee you a long time from now, a long time, uh, there'll be something very special and worth cherishing. That's and gas will probably be cheaper then <laughs> because everybody's going to have gone EV. Um, the other thing about EVs is I don't see them as faster, superior mm-hmm. vehicles. Right. I see them in ter- Well, I don't see them as like superior cars. I don't see them as fast cars. I see them as slow teleportation. <laughs> it's it's just the sure. next step in the evolution. Sure. That's fair. That's some good skinny. I appreciate that. Okay, good. <laughs> I think it's a little bit stupid. But <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't disagree with that either. <laughs> uh, the last article I got, Steve, is uh, five mistakes uh, robotics startups should avoid. So um, Ooh. startups are plenty nowadays. A lot of people are getting into physical automation. Deliver um, your product on time. <laughs> that that could be one of them. <laughs> you talking about mistakes? Yeah. Oh. First mistake, <laughs> not delivering your product delivering, on time. Not meeting your commitment. If somebody gives you money. Yeah. You have to give them a product. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so, you know, th- this article is very focused on um, the companies that uh, a startup. But I, was, I think it makes sense from the other perspective, too. If you're working for a startup, these are things that you need to keep out, keep an eye out for. I mean, they're, as you're Im- importing new technology and working with new uh, suppliers and customers, there could be a lot of smart people, but there's some fairly common mistakes that are uh, that these uh, article talks about. And and it's, I think it's true for any technology development. If you're doing something internally, too, uh, I think these are f- fair applications. So some, a couple of the bullet points is developing software in a bubble. So obviously they've got, um, you know, some human to machine interface and um, <clears throat> developing the software outside the context of what else is the operator doing, um, you know, uh, the interaction between humans and machines is fairly important. So I think that's a, a fairly good look at uh, a key element of software development is, you know, um, just put in context the rest of the uh, environment around you. Uh, underestimating prototype to production. I think this is a really key one um, that a lot of people do underestimate is, yeah, taking your idea and being able to mature it into producing a lot of these things. It's fairly difficult. Uh, so the article talks uh hits a couple of key elements about the need to stay in prototype as long as you can uh, before uh, in understanding the path to uh, production. Um, not building an out-of-the-box solution. So always going to a custom solution, which makes sense, or even... They it, said building an out-of-the-box solution is bad? No, they said not building an out-of-the-box solution. Oh, okay, solution. okay, so, okay, sorry. So basically taking a look at every single application as a custom application. Yeah. Which, I mean, yes, there's some kind of type of customization, but I guess the, the point sure. of the article is starting at the core level of every single application from the very beginning to the end is a custom application. And that helps, that gets back into the production issue where, you know, your starting point may, shouldn't be a custom uh, object every single time. I think that's an excellent point. I yeah. think the, the reading between, between the lines there is if you're going into production, the word, 
that is hidden in the word production is product. Right. And you want to deliver a product, not a service. That's fair. And, you know, uh, also, also, if you look at the life cycle of it, right? So if I've got an out-of-box solution and if I've got 20 customers, I can support an out-of-box solution easier for those 20 people than 20 different custom applications. So it's a fair, fair look at the industry, but also, you know, there is some need of customization. So it's a balanced approach. Uh, focusing on the technology, not the problem. I think that's a common uh, pro- common issue across all industries and all uh, organizations where let's bring in a robot. Well, you don't bring in a robot just to bring in a robot. I mean, unless you're doing a test. Bed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then you define the problem saying of we want to uh, understand the production implementation of a robot. Then you scale down for a test bed and you do something small, right? Right, right. Starting with a technology and then coming up with a problem statement, that's a huge problem. And I think that article is yeah. on that key element pretty well. Um, and the last one, I think it's f- fair, but at the same time, it's I, I, I am interested about it. Uh, trying to reinvent the wheel. I guess if I guess the point of the article was that if a solution already exists, what are you doing differently? Right? right. Are you providing another wheel? Which is fair. I mean, there are competing products, right? That's there are subtle nuances between certain products, but it's kind of connected to, you know, not build, building an out-of-the-box solution and getting things ready for prototype. Yeah. There are there is a lot of connection between all the previous uh, items, and I think it's 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 fair, and it's a, a very good process approach to how you absorb new technology as opposed to, hey, let's do the thing ourselves, but the thing already exists in the industry. Why don't I just bring that in and customize it? You're such a stereotypical engineer. <laughs> <laughs> you used one of the expressions I hate the most. What's that? Somebody in college once uh, told me that engineers have to be creative. They need to think outside the box. <laughs> and this person was an engineer. Yeah. It's like, if you thought outside the box, you wouldn't use the expression think outside the box. <laughs> Another That's one of my most hated expressions. The so, other one that you used was reinvent the wheel. <laughs> we shouldn't reinvent the wheel. We should absolutely reinvent the wheel. Yeah. The wheel is terribly aerodynamically inefficient <laughs> it is an awful means of moving something easily i mean it's simple yeah but again to get back to what's their problem statement fair enough <laughs> engineers engineers man <laughs> awesome steve where can they find more info about us amtonline.org slash resources Awesome. This is a great episode like share subscribe i'm just kidding we're not youtube just go there and subscribe <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye.